Good morning, Christ Church. We've been in a series these past few weeks going through the Psalms in our sermons. The Psalms have been assigned uh, each week in our, in our selection of readings from the lectionary. Uh, but I'm going to deviate a bit today from that and look at two of the other uh, lessons that we just heard. Father Matt's been on vacation and he's back and I didn't want to bother him with questions about the plans. So Matt, I'm just asking you for forgiveness, not permission in my plans. Thank you. But I'm not too far afield from our plan because uh, just the Deuteronomy passage and particularly the, the gospel lesson, uh, Luke 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan struck me uh, this week because recently, just two weeks ago, I got to spend uh, a whole week at uh, Seattle Pacific University at their Center for Faithful Business. Uh, it was a research fellowship, and I applied for a grant and got to go there with several other scholars from around the country and the world to just spend a week uh, looking at their special collection of books on the topic of faith in work and faith in business. And this is going to result, it's supposed to result in a paper that I will write and that will get uh, entered into a competition and maybe, maybe published, which should be good. But this was, this was fun because I, uh, I've known of this place for a while. Uh, one of the faculty, one of the professors at SPU wrote the textbook that I've been using for a class I teach at Baylor on Christian ethics applied to business. We, of course, have this long-standing gathering at Christ Church each month, uh, in the, the, the faith and business lunch, where we come together and ask questions about what does it mean to live out uh, our, our, our life in Christ in the marketplace. And there's a number of folks at Christ Church who've supported this institution and given to help them be able to produce some films that tell stories about companies that are that are trying to do this well in how they lead and, and the work that they have. Uh, so it's, it's fresh in my mind. And then I turn to the, the Deuteronomy passage and... There we go. From the beginning, God is promising to, to bless the, every endeavor, to bless the, the undertakings, the work of the Israelites uh, as they seek him and follow him. They're going, he says that he will bless their... Uh, their children, their livestock, their crops, their agriculture, basically their work. You could say, in many ways, their, their business, their household, all the economy, all the things that provide their livelihood and their well-being. It's kind of like a modern version or, or ancient version of what we would call our, our business. And of course, we have folks in our church, like any church, who are working in the marketplace in various capacities, but even if that's not, even if that's not you... Right? Business is the largest sector in our society that employs people. Right? It, it creates the most value of any area in our, in our economy, from the government to nonprofit and NGOs. And we're all affected by it all the time, aren't we? We are in our purchases, in our daily spending, in the ways that we interact with people and have exchanges and have, make decisions about what we're going to do with our money. Right? As, a, as a community of faith, as a church, we are witnessing to the gospel and how we, uh, how we spend, whether you're on the consumer side or the, or the producer side. And God cares about all of that. God cares a great deal about that. So we're thinking about this, uh, I think, in light of, of the text today, and, and that's where I want to go. So let me, let me pray. Lord, I, uh, we come to you this morning. We seek your wisdom. We want to know more about your will and your purpose for us in how we obey you, and live out your mission in our work 
and in our commerce, in our uh, enterprises, in our business, Lord. So uh, reveal more fully to us, Christ, your way and your will and your character through your word this morning, we pray. Amen. So the Deuteronomy 30 passage, I'm going to put back up there, just the the first two verses really and focus for a moment uh, on the screen. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your livestock. Oh, this is, okay, yes, uh, this is a slightly different translation from the one you first heard. From the fruit of your soil, for the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, just as he delighted in prospering your ancestors when you obey the Lord your God by observing his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, because you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, there may be something about this passage, at least there is for me, I would say, that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, it, has, it has that sound, just a touch of maybe if you lifted it out of context and interpreted it a certain way today of, of health and wealth or, or like the prosperity gospel, this idea that um, if we just do what God has said, we'll get what we want, right? There's been those distortion, distorted interpretations popularized in our, in our day along these lines. And we know that that's not what the gospel says. So how do, how do we make sense of this? And one, one, key, one key difference we have to recognize, I think, right from the beginning between the audience at this time and, and just where we are today is that Israel is in a place where they are probably not in this moment the most wealthy and most powerful uh, nation. They, are, they have questions about their security. They have questions about how God is going to provide for them. This might have been heard during the exile. It might have been heard at least during times of trouble and asking, are our adversaries going to overtake us, God? How are you going to provide? Whereas, and, and they would hear it very collectively, like as, as the whole community, as the nation. Today, we, we probably hear this and think about our own individual financial well-being, maybe our careers, our jobs, our nuclear family, how God's going to bless uh, our company or our work. And there is a connection. It does speak to us, but that's a difference, including the difference of how wealthy and powerful our society is and how how much um, we are, most of us, uh, very provided for. But the biggest thing tempering the way we hear this promise, I think, is actually right there in the text in in the next verse, in verse 10, where it says that this prosperity is for those who are obeying the voice of the Lord, who are keeping the commandments. God calls them to return to him in heart and mind, which is a reference to uh, earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, the prayer that we're, uh, the, the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which implies loving your neighbor as yourself. So there's a deliberate pairing of Deuteronomy 30 this morning with the reading alongside Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is asked the same question about the law. And he gives the answer of love love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. But the teacher, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Which prompts the story of the good Samaritan. And the example, the example of someone who, the Samaritan, at great cost to themselves, a great risk, uh, certainly inconvenience and delay in whatever he was trying to do, whatever his work and job, whatever, wherever he was going, he, he pauses, he steps aside, he recognizes this person in need and, uh, and cares for them and takes, takes responsibility for them. 
So if that is, if that is the standard for what it means to love our neighbor, that's hardly a uh, you know, easy path to conspicuous consumption or seeking wealth uh, if, if that's what God calls us to. But this is, this is really just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it, of all that Jesus has to say about money and about being rich in our, in our world. Uh, much more soberingly, I think, in a couple other places. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, for example, chapter 6, Jesus says, this is a, a different version of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, Woe to you, woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. Or later in Luke, chapter 18, there's the exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler when the man went away sad after Jesus instructs him to not only keep the commandments he's been keeping, but to sell all of his possessions and give to the poor. Jesus looks at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom. So if we needed some tension between the promise of prosperity in response to our obedience and the seeking of wealth and being rich on the other hand, there you have it. That's about as tight of a, of a pull as you could think of having. And I, I don't believe that we should try to uh, reconcile that tension. And yet it is important to, to recognize that in both of these cases, in Luke 10 that we heard, in Luke 18, which I referenced, there is someone coming to Jesus and asking, okay, how do I, and it says explicitly in Luke 10, how do I justify myself here? Am I doing all that I should do? Am I good with you, God? Can I get you off my back? Have I loved my neighbor sufficiently? Or what else do I need to do to keep living my life the way that I would like, right? in the case of the rich young ruler, so that he doesn't have to give more of his money away. He's tithing, he's good, he doesn't want to worry, but he wants to make sure that that's true with Jesus. So while there is this uh, tension, I think, I think we can rest assured that God is first and foremost looking at our hearts. And one more reference uh, scriptural reference that helps here, I think, comes to mind for me, maybe you've thought of it too, is uh, the character and the story of Job. Right? Job is someone who the Bible recognizes is, uh, and, and describes as very wealthy. Right? He has all these things that Deuteronomy mentions, the livestock, the crops, the family, the household economy in spades. He's got this huge blessing, and God calls him righteous. God calls him a servant. Among all the people, God points to Job and says, look at, look at this man, this upstanding person of faith, and uh, affirms him in that. So we can at least know that it's possible. <laughs> it's possible to have great wealth and to live righteously. Um, and despite the counsel from his friends, Job stays faithful even when he loses these things. And this is an important exception, right? We see an example where even though God is promising to provide for Israel as they are faithful, we also know this is not a guarantee in life and that everything that we have can be, can be taken away. And it, it, it has happened in, in Scripture. So it's a reminder, again, that our heart has to be trusting in the Lord and not in our possessions. One of the things that I got to do as part of this uh, trip to Seattle leading up to it, I mentioned earlier, 
is each week uh, before, for about four weeks, we would meet this, this group and have a seminar where we studied, we read a book about the story of one particular company to kind of get our thinking about what does is, what is faithful business look like? The company was called Service Master, and the author of the book that told the story, his name's Al Arisman, he was the one leading our seminar. And Service Master, maybe you've heard of it, it, it started a long time ago, uh, early 20th century company that originally was providing cleaning and janitorial services to all kinds of people, businesses especially, and then they grew and added other things like pest control and lawn care and home warranty services, this, this kind of thing. And, and they grew profitably year over year without missing a year for several decades. They, they went public and they acquired other companies and they still grew profitably. This is one of the most long-standing profit streaks in business history, which is obviously impressive. But what was more impressive and unique about the company was their four objectives that they held, their values, which you see on the screen. First was to honor God, and they explicitly said this, honor God in all we do. To develop people, to pursue excellence, and to grow profitably. Now, each of those could be unpacked a bit further, uh, but they didn't take the honor God part as something to as a litmus test for people to prove that they were Christian, right? They used it on the basis actually for inclusion because they thought that everyone had something to bring because God created everybody differently. And so it was more of, a, of an undergirding of the other values. And so what one of the CEOs would do, uh, Bill Pollard is his name. You might, you might know that name. He, he wrote several books, one of which is called The Soul of the Firm. It was a bestseller for a while. And he was very influenced by the management and nonprofit leader and, and teacher, uh, Peter Drucker. But Pollard would give to all of his executives and leaders in the company this set of blocks and like a balance beam or, or seesaw almost to go on it. And I have an image that, this isn't the one he would give them, but this is the closest thing I could find that sort of helps you think about what this looked like. And the only block that looked a little different from the others was the center one, the, the fulcrum or the, the pivot point. And that was the one that had the label of honor God on it. And it had to be in the middle. And the other three things were people, uh, profit, and excellence. And if you tried to lay them out equally and have it balanced evenly and not fall to one side or the other, that was very difficult to do. You could barely, you could barely do it, which was his point. He wanted people in the company to recognize and realize this is really hard work. This takes constant care and attention and adjustment and assessment, and it's not going to come naturally or easily for us to put God first and balance, balance these other things. Pollard would also stress that for him, the, the two, first two goals were the end objectives, to honor God and to develop people, and the second two goals, three and four, were the means, and keeping them in that order uh, was crucial. Developing people meant not merely uh, making them work better for you, but also seeing them come to their full potential as unique uh, individuals made in God's image who had a particular calling, even if that led them somewhere besides where you wanted them to go. That was his commitment and stated purpose, at least. Um, so this is a guard against, right? The very thing we see happening 
for example, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priests and the Levi, right, what do they do when they see the person who's abandoned on the road? They keep, they keep going. They don't want to be inconvenienced because that person was getting in the way of whatever it was they were trying to do, which I'm sure was important and good, right? Maybe something, maybe they were even following some ritual purity laws about not defiling themselves by touching someone who's not well. It, it, whatever the reason, they had their top commandment, uh, commandments out of, out of priority. One of the most uh, memorable things that I heard in seminary from a professor who was actually teaching our, our course on Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, he told us toward the end of the semester that one of the most common problems he sees, maybe the, maybe the biggest issue that happens when you finish your divinity degree and go into leadership in some church or nonprofit, is that a lot of people tend to start putting their goals um, and their teaching, their preaching, uh, first and their people second. They love their work and what they're trying to accomplish more than they love their people. Uh, Bill, Paul, Bill Pollard said something similar about Service Master. He said, you can, you can give people a higher purpose to work for. It tends to be more motivating than simply asking them to do their job or make, uh, make a paycheck. Right? You can inspire them with your mission and, give, and connect their work with something bigger that makes a difference. But if you're just doing that, so that they will make you more money or so that they will accomplish your goals, they can tell. They know the difference. Uh, most of you have probably heard the name John Rockefeller, right? the famed 19th century business tycoon and standard oil company founder and leader, really the first billionaire in our society in the 19th century. And uh, he, he did many significant things, including lots of good philanthropic work and charity uh, that is, you can still see the, uh, you know, the legacy of that today. But he was also known as a fairly ruthless businessman. And I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with some folks who were coming up with these interviews or, or some documents that referenced uh, reports from those who worked for him, who were asked about what it was like to be in Standard Oil. And one laborer in particular said, well, I think it's great that, you know, Mr. Rockefeller did all these wonderful things and was generous and, pros uh, and, and charitable and philanthropic, but I wish he'd paid me more. <laughs> I wish we'd made a higher wage. And I don't, I don't know the details of whether that was possible or how much you know, he got paid. And it's not to dismiss any of the charity, right? But are these two things mutually exclusive? Could they not go together? Could you treat your people in that business situation like they were dignified and had unsurpassable worth and pay them as much as possible while still meeting these other goals and be generous and be charitable at the same time? And I think the answer is yes, and I think that this is not unique to businesses, right? Think about any charitable organization, any nonprofit, any church who has a good mission, right? You could have the most uh, you know, admirable cause to alleviate hunger or whatever it might be, and you could still treat people like objects on your way toward that mission. You could still see them as instruments, as means to your end in the process. And so this is what this story reminds us of, right? The Good Samaritan and the standard by which God holds people in their blessing 
to love him and love neighbor, it's that people along the way are loved by God and deserve to be treated as such. This is the question for us to ask for ourselves in your work, in your business, in all of your undertakings. How, how are you seeing people? How are you treating them? Are they God's image bearers to you? Do you see their dignity and worth? Because that's how God sees them. That's how God loves them. That's how God sees you. One of the things we're trying to do at Christ Church is to uh, create an environment where, as, uh, as a community, we can grow in this. So one opportunity for you all, uh, we have another Fuller Formation cohort starting up in September. And the purpose of the Fuller Formation cohort is for you to be able to ask the question, how is God calling me to love God and love others in this season of life and work, and how do I do that better? So if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't been through, consider it. Uh, go online, check out the details, pray about it, ask me if you have any questions. And we're going to mess this up, y'all. I mean, we just do. So we pray, we pray that prayer every week. Better to pray it even every day. Lord, I confess. I, we, we repent for what we've done and what we've not done. We've not loved you with all our heart. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We're truly sorry. And we receive that forgiveness and that love that then flows into us and out into, into others as we seek to love them the way God has loved us. So in your work, in your business, in everything that you do, may the Lord delight in and abundantly prosper you as you seek to love him with all your heart and as you seek to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.